This is a Big MX podcast, brought to you by X Brand Goggles, presented by Tech One Designs, 204 Skate Shop, West Side Honda, Capital Motorsports, Golden Tire, and TransCanada Motorsports out of Brandon, Manitoba. Motocross news from around the world. We're not experts, but we've got microphones. Check us out on the web at BigMXRadio.com. This show, we've got former factory mechanic and owner of Watts Perfections, Chad Watts. We asked Chad about his humble beginnings as a tuner. We didn't have that much money, and if uh, the bike broke, you know, had to figure out how to fix it. We also asked about the struggles of getting started as, as a professional wrench. I got a plane ticket and made $100 a week. We learned the keys of what it takes to become a top tuner in the factory ranks. Not too hard as long as you as long as you pay close detail and pay attention to what you're doing. You're okay. And then we got to the bottom of what really makes Chad tick. Yeah, nothing sounds better than a good high resin 125 two stroke. We got a little bit of info on helping Jerry Robin in the 2013 Loretta Lens on a 1985 CR250. It was just a good and it was the right thing to do. We also found out a little bit about a, a special product only available at Watts Perfections. My Watts sauce. And we got the lowdown of the mission that Chad has for his business. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, particular and I definitely uh, pay attention and make sure anything goes out this door will not come back in this door unless it's just for proper maintenance or needs to be rebuilt. Welcome to the Big MX Podcast Show, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles, 204 Skate Shop, Tech One Designs, Capital Motorsports, Transcanada Motorsports, Westside Honda, Roy Borton Suspension Systems, Bulletproof Welding, Golden Tire, 38 Ride Shop, and Millennium, wait, those guys don't pay their bills. I am Brad Gebhardt, your host, with me on the line, Chad Watts owner-operator of Watts Perfections down in North Carolina, but also uh, best known for his work as a mechanic with many of the top stars uh, starting in... Uh, what year did you start there, uh, Chad? Uh, 1990, when I started working for Ryan Hughes. Actually, 1988, I started working for Mike Brown at Amateur Races. Wow, we're working for Brownie the year that I was born, back in 1988. That's incredible, my friend. Uh, like I said, Chad Watts, welcome to the Big MX Show, my friend. Well, thank you very much. So uh, how are things down there in at uh, Watts Perfections? What are you currently working on? Getting ready, a lot of motors and suspension for the Red Winds, which everybody's leaving next Wednesday, Thursday to go there. And then some custom bikes, doing a magazine bike, customer suspension motors, cylinder head mods, you know, pretty much covered up, so to speak. Always known for uh, building some of the most beautiful bikes uh, in the pits uh, for uh, guys like Ricky Carmichael and uh, and Ryan Hughes uh, back in the day. Um like, what are what are some of the projects that you've got on the go right now, other than uh, getting uh, some bikes ready for uh, Loretta Lynn's? Well, we got done with that um, Manny Dawson steam bike in the uh, 1980 Mugen replica from Johnny O'Meara. Mm-hmm. We built them here, but, of course, it was with the Moto Whips, my friend, starting a business out there to kind of get his business pumped up and get going. Then I'm doing another magazine bike for a two-stroke test, and I actually had a call last week from a guy about interested that works for Philadelphia Eagles in the accounting department, 
maybe about doing a theme bike, hopefully. So uh, have you found a little niche there in, in, in creating some of these theme bikes that uh, really allow yourself to get creative with uh, some of those, uh, the, the anodized bolts and uh, like some of the, the bolt packages that you can uh, put up, put together uh, like a really cool package as well as you've even got uh, recently uh, uploaded a, a picture of an engine that uh, looks like you completely polished uh, every single piece on that. Um, how many hours went into a, a project quite like that? Well, it depends on the condition of the motor when I get it. If it's a new one, of course, it requires less time. If it's a used one, it requires twice the amount of time. I'll spend minimum 18 to 30 hours on a complete engine modified and what people are calling, I did not come up with this, my watch sauce, so to speak, as far as making everything bling-bling on the outside. Yeah. So it's just just a matter of, you know, time is what it takes. Not every motor I do, people do not want that because it's not in the budget. Um, but they want, you know, the perfections of the modifications, reliability, which all my motors have that. But if I put that little extra on the outside, some people like that. You know, that's their uh, discrepancy. So, uh, just so uh, people do, like uh, some people know, like if they uh, if they have uh, a, an engine that has been used and they want to do something uh, like that, get the watt sauce on the exterior of their engine. Uh, what are they looking at? Well, if, if it takes if it takes ten hours, it's going to be eight hundred dollars. You know, it just depends on like say condition of the motor. Because it takes so, a while. It takes a while to do that stuff. But, I mean, the guy can send me a motor, don't need, don't want that finish. I can rebuild it for 475 to $575 plus parts, you know, and then that's in their budget. It's That motor is still going to have the same quality as what people are calling my watch sauce. It does not make a difference. It just does not have the exterior finish. Right on. So, so these are not just show pieces, but these are uh, top of the line uh, performance engines that uh, are not only putting out the horsepower, but uh, they're reliable. And that's something that you prided yourself on throughout your entire career as a mechanic. Am I right? Yeah, I'm pretty uh, particular, and I definitely uh, pay attention and make sure anything goes out this door will not come back in this door unless it's just for proper maintenance or needs to be rebuilt. Excellent. So, uh, what what all spawned this uh, wanting to take on um, a uh, like this uh, building a business like this? Obviously, uh, you were a, a factory mechanic for a lot of years. Worked with uh, some of the greats. Won a lot of championships as a mechanic. Uh, you stepped away at the end of, I believe, the two thousand and three season, and uh, went ahead and um, and started your your business. And so, what was really the driving force behind you wanting to start your own business and uh, and putting your Stamp on some of these uh, beautiful engines that you uh, have rolling out the door. Well, I enjoyed what I did, that's for sure. But I did not want to be on the road when I was 50 years old and didn't have to worry about starting a business. So at the time when I resigned from Honda, I was 31 years old and I wanted to come back home by my family and, you know, start their own business and try to get it established. It's been 11 years, and it's just now starting to make money, so to speak. past 10 years, all the money has went back into the business. But I, didn't, I just didn't want to be 50 and be on the road. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. Now, uh, obviously, this is a labor of love for you, Chad. Uh, you love working on the bikes, and you obviously, like, I can just hear in your voice that you take a lot of pride in this work. Uh, what are some of your f- uh, favorite bikes to, to work on uh, that you've worked on in the past, whether it be a bike build, a full bike, or uh, just a particular engine that happens to be uh, rather simple to work with? Out of any bike that I've ever built, including whether it's the KHI Works 125, 250 for Carmichael, or the CR Works 250, or the CR 450 Works engines I built at Honda. Uh, the most trickiest bike was a 2002 KTM 65 I did. 
I shaved 15 pounds off of it. Had a handmade swing arm, titanium, magnesium covers. Uh, went to twin chamber forks. It's really trick. And it actually and, uh, has been hanging in the kid's bedroom because he outgrew it. Was that that was for your son's bike? That's actually for my buddy that owns Moto Whips. Okay. When he was, I built it for him when he was twelve. No, when he was like nine years old, I built it for him out in California. That so, must. That thing must have been a rocket. What was the power to weight ratio on that sucker? Way more than needed. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so it uh, sounded like, sound like a one twenty five national bike what it sounded like and still does to this day he keeps it maintained oh i'm sure that thing uh just did just what i'm picturing just sounds like an absolute beast uh uh, have you ever been approached uh by any um amateur parents to build uh a bike quite like that no not no not not like top riders you know amateur uh, like the red wings riders that kind of style they have so many different sponsors and so many different ties to the bike, you, you you cannot do that. Only way you could do that is if you pretty much supported the whole bike, or you're going to be stepping on those uh, people's toes, so to speak. Right, because you wouldn't want to have to uh, cater to uh, certain brands or certain uh, restrictions when you're trying to create a masterpiece quite like that. Yes, sir. Right on. So uh, before we get too far into this, uh, let's uh, let's loosen the screws a little bit and and and, uh, and uh, go through a, a segment called uh, Pick Your Poison. And this is brought to you by Thirty Eight Ride Shop. Lee Stewart over at Thirty Eight Ride Shop does uh, all kinds of, uh, of of bike builds of his own. Uh, local shop here in Winnipeg. He also does uh, wheel lacing and uh, one of the best guys at it locally. So uh, he's brought to you by uh, he, this section of the interview is brought to you by Thirty Eight Ride Shop and Lee Stewart. Uh, are you are you ready there, Chad? Yes, sir. These ones is basically just rapid succession. Uh, like uh, I've got a, a list of some some this or that, and you pick one or the other. No wrong answers. And uh, so uh, we'll start off with outdoors or supercross. Outdoors. High Point or Glen Helen. High Point. Moto or rodeo. Moto. Top end screamer or low low end grunt. Top end screamer. Uh, thirty second board girl, thirty second board girl or head referee uh, board operator. Head referee. Gotta have a little more common sense up there. I uh, I I I figured you you might pick that one. Uh, running or cycling. Cycling. Cardio or weight training. Weight. Salsa or guacamole. Salsa. Two stroke or four stroke? Two. One twenty five or two fifty two stroke? One. Uh the monster uh monster girls or trophy girls? Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh David Bailey or Rick Johnson? Damn, he put me on the spot. Ah. Um David. Uh little professor. Uh Jeff Emig or Jeremy McGrath? Thank you, that's my good friends. Why you gotta do this to me? I, I hey, these are there are no wrong answers, my friend. Um, and if either one of them are listening, I'll be super pumped. Um, I can't pick between those two. They're my good friends. I can't pick. Sorry, nope, uh, can't pick. Uh, can you pick between barbecue or Cajun? Barbecue. Talk or text? Yes. Night owl or early riser? Night owl. And that is the 38 Ride Shop questions. The uh, Pick Your Poison. Thanks so much for doing that. Hopefully, uh, now now that uh, I've put you on the spot a couple of times, the you're feeling a little bit more comfortable and we can head on to the rest of the interview. Um, so, Chad, like you've been working on these uh, beautiful bikes. And uh, so how did this, uh, the, the Mugen uh, replica bike all come about? This is one of those, uh, if they're, if so, for those who don't know, check out uh, um, Watts Perfections, check out this Mugen bike. It was done for uh, Johnny O'Mara, I believe. Or it is a replica. Yeah, it's Moto Whips on it, but we, yeah, we did it. Yeah, it's beautiful. How did that all come about and what all went into that build? Well, it came out. Uh, Justin that owns Moto Whips is, uh, flew out from Washington to graduate 
from the LMI, I think it was last November. Well, the plan was for him to come out here for two, three months at the beginning of this year to learn more stuff from me that MMI does not teach. Mm-hmm. Well, they sent three of their bikes back. The bikes got back here. Justin wanted to do the Miami Dolphins team bike, do the bike for his father, and then the other bike we were going to, he wanted originally to do like the David Bailey kind of orange plastic. And I said, man, it'd be cool to do this. So his father and him and me just started pulling up pictures from the old school days and just took like the bike apart. Had like the brake calipers done black, had the hubs done black, did the mm-hmm. engine with the heat cooling process coating and just kind of just carried on and did, did a little bit, made sure, did a little bit more, made sure. And it came out and came out pretty insane. Yeah, it's a that red engine is absolutely beautiful. For those who uh, haven't checked it out, go check it out. Uh, beautiful. Uh, you got the silver hardware on it with uh, silver Kickstarter on an all red engine. Uh, how hard was it to work with uh, something like that and and not scratch the damn thing? Not too hard, as long as you as long as you just pay close detail and pay attention to what you're doing. You're a okay. So. Where did this all uh, this all start, uh, Chad? You've you've been working on motorcycles for a long period of time. Uh, I don't dare to guess uh, your your current age, but obviously you've been working on it a very long time. So uh, did you did you grow up racing? Uh, and uh, where did this love for uh, working on bikes start? Uh, well, I grew up actually where my shop sits is on an old farmland, and had it all done up, built a shop. My parents farm is just about a half a mile up the road so when i lived there younger we didn't have that much money and if uh the bike broke you know i had to figure out how to fix it i was used to working on tractors i started working on tractors and barns when i was eight years old so i just took my bike apart one day dad came home and said son if you can get that bike back together i think i was 11 years old maybe he mm-hmm. said, you need to do that. So I got it back together, and it just started snowballing from that effect. So at first, it was just a repair job, and it uh, soon eventually blossomed into uh, working on the motors to uh, squeeze a couple extra horsepower. Uh, were, you, were you racing or just uh, just riding at that point? Just riding. Just riding in the cow faster. That was it. Did you, did you ever uh, line up behind the gate uh, as, a, as a youth? Actually, I did. Uh, the first time was Carlsbad when I was riding Hughes Mechanic. Him and Dave Castillo, which Dave Castillo's young Castillo, is right. that owns, you know, CT, or so started the CTI. O- yeah, I rode Dave's RM125 and I freaking hole shotted the first moto I ever raced. And I was nervous as could be. And I ended up getting like fourth or something in the beginner class. Brian Castillo was pitting boarding me. That's got to be a special. <laughs> yeah, Ryan was about getting a fight in the mechanics area because some guy was trying to get me out of the way of his rider, and we know Ryan has attitude. I was going to say, this time, doesn't surprise I was, me at all. I was, I was 18, he was 17, so he was full of spirit. So <laughs> race, race Paris a couple times, race day in the dirt, and that's it. So I'm better working on than riding them. That's for sure. So who was uh, who? Who was that first rider that gave you a chance to uh, to work on work on a bike? Well, it's actually the way all this really started was uh, when I turned 16, got my driver's license. I went down to a shop, which he's well known. He used to build Bradshaw's, Jeff Stanton's motors, quite a few of them back in the eight, uh, 980s mainly, uh, right. bars competition. Went down there and asked for a job and started there and got to meet Mike Brown. We to build his motors and stuff and going to amateur races and got to meet Tim Green. Uh, at that time, it was like Mark Johnson and Jose Gonzalez, Mercedes Gonzalez's brother. Got to meet them and just started revolving and and that took me to California. 
like uh, did, dare I ask what you were getting in return for your services uh, as a as a young uh, wrench trying to prove yourself? What was the pay like uh, when you first started to cut your teeth in uh, the world of uh, of wrenching? When I moved to California in January of 1990, I got a plane ticket and made $100 a week. $100 a week, just under, yep. uh, just under 20 bucks a day. That seems doable. Yep. That's, that's one about Ryan, stay with Ryan Hughes, and at that time we lived with his mom and dad, so you got to consider the food and the room and board and all that, but I made $100 a week my first year. Wow, that's uh, that's quite the struggle. What was your what was your greatest challenge uh, as you developed your skills uh, um, uh, with the toolbox? My greatest challenge probably was not wanting to move back to North Carolina when I moved to California. I was about ready to jump on that plane and come back home. But as far as mechanical skills, um, working with other people because I've got my ways. And I like my ways, not that anybody else's ways are wrong, but I like the way I do stuff, and that's the way I'm going to do it. Uh, you know, like, it sounds like you uh, you always longed to be back in uh, in North Carolina, and that's where you eventually did go. Uh, only 13 years into uh, into a, uh, a career as a professional mechanic, and that is a long time doing it. Obviously, there's guys like uh, Tony Baluti who are still doing it and, and started a whole lot uh, uh, earlier than you did. Um, what uh, what fueled that passion to want to pursue uh, a career as a mechanic, even though you still felt that uh, your uh, your heart is where home is? Um, I mean, it's just kind of like to see both sides of the fences. Um, being a mechanic is a great, great thing. There's nothing better than winning a race in front of 60,000, 70,000 people or like at Motocross Nations in France when it was Vistrana, uh, Carmichael, and Hughes. I mean, Carmichael's my rider. Brian Hughes used to be my rider. So I had two riders representing the USA. And you got, I don't know, they may have been 100,000 people there. I don't know how many. But here on Chant USA, and just the thrill of winning, that, that was a pretty cool feeling. How many championships do you have to your credit there, uh, Chad? Uh, I've got 10 pro. And when I was a mechanic, I think I got, as far as amateur mechanic, I got like 14. And then we've won a few since I started Watch Perfections. Hmm. That's, that's incredible. Uh, who are some of the riders uh, that that are noteworthy that you're uh, that you've been uh, working with at the amateur level now? Who are worthy? Yeah. Well, no. Who who would be a noteworthy or uh, uh, one of the standout riders that you're currently working with uh, for to make it a Loretta Lynn's effort? Well, I gotta. I'm not gonna mention their names because you know. It, I didn't ask the parents to do it, so I don't okay. like saying that kind of stuff. But I've got a top, um, last, believe it or not, 50 rider that won his regional. And I actually got the motor done last night, and the guy that helps me out drove it to the training facility today so it could be tested tomorrow. Because we go out of our way for our customers. we got to do what we got to do. Um, I've got another rider that helped incognito a little bit mm -hmm. that rides for another team and I have another one from a training facility that I'm doing a 125 motor for that will be there and then there's a couple other people that use my miscellaneous stuff you know I'm nothing like pro circuit having 100 riders there that use their stuff you know I'm yeah. not nothing like that so and I don't know if I'd ever want to be something like that that's, that's too much. Fair enough. So um, last year you had the pleasure of working with one Jerry Robin, and I believe uh, there was quite a few motorcycles that went into uh, putting one 2000 or 1985 uh, CR250 together. Um, in uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, that, how that all came together and uh, 
um, some of the struggles that you dealt with uh, trying to keep that bike uh, on two wheels? Well, I got a call about 10 days before actually Redland to race and asked if I would do this from south of the border where he trains at the Hillmix facility. Right. And I said, okay. So, shoot, I loaded up my porting tools, took everything that I needed, stayed down there for, they said only come down for two days. I ended up staying, it was either, I think, seven or eight days or something. I used six bikes to make one bike for that 1985 and actually set up my porting tools in the uh, bathroom and poured it on the sink because that's the only place I had good light at. Poured yeah. it in the cylinder. We built the bike and the only thing we didn't have was a new crankshaft for it or a rebuild kit and that's what ended up happening going out during practice after Red Lens crank went out. So we put another 23-year-old, no, excuse me, 29-year-old crankshaft in it, 28 years old, and that and that's one, uh, when that lasted. That that so, one uh, stayed together for him. Yep. Yeah, that bike actually sounded pretty cool. I was going to say, uh, once you got your hands on that thing, uh, I, uh, was, was, was it pretty, uh, was it, was it something you were proud of to see roll off, uh, roll out of the, um, the pits in, in Loretta Lynn's? Yeah, it, yeah, it was, it, it was just, it was more of the challenge than seeing that you could do it and fulfill it and that way the kid could race. Yeah. That was the main objective. More for him, you know, so he could race than, you know, for us, it was just a good and it's the right thing to do. Absolutely, and uh, not a stranger to doing the right thing. Uh, we're off, obviously. Uh, Chad Watts, you're you're one of the most uh, prolific um, mechanics that has has ever graced the sport. Obviously, uh, working very hard over the years, um, but uh, you've also had some good times throughout your your career. Uh, what are some of the uh, what's what's your best Ryan Hughes story? Maybe one that uh, might might uh, make a few uh, listeners laugh. Like the best story? What's your best story on the guy? On which one? On Ryan Ryan Hughes. Oh, Rhino. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Let me think of a good one I can repeat. Um, <laughs> oh, I was only out in California for like two weeks. He was dating his girl, girlfriend at the time, which was Sherry. <laughs> We're driving down the road in her convertible. Yeah. And some guy says something, Rhino yells at the guy, pull off on the side ramp. Guy rolls his window down, Ryan about pulls him out the window and beats the crap out of him. And I've only been in California California for two weeks and I was 17 years old. I'm like, what am I getting myself into? Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great introduction to uh, the Sunshine State. Yeah. yeah, that was my introduction. But Rhino's a good guy, that's for sure. Absolutely, uh, definitely. Uh, uh, he's got his own quirks, uh, as as most people do, and definitely set in his ways. Um, how did the the whole pro circuit job come about? I, I know you worked with the the team green program. Was that a stepping stone to eventually uh, working with uh, with the riders from the pro circuit um, team? Well, actually, when I was Ryan's mechanic, when I moved out there, was Team Green. Mm-hmm. Went from Team Green to factory support at Cali. Then went from factory support to factory Cali. And that's when I crashed that box band back in 92. And we uh, went from there the following year to Pro Circuit because Pro Circuit was focusing on 125s where more factory in-house Cali was focusing on 250s. So that led me over to Pro Circuit. And then I stayed there from those years to... In '98, when you uh, you went with uh, Ricky over back to the uh, factory cowrie rig. Yes, yep. I was there for Ryan till '95, and then in '96 I was Pichon's mechanic. And how did you enjoy that? Um, I'm glad he's back over. I'm glad he's back overseas. Fair enough. 
Um, so, um, describe your first meeting to, uh, to Mitch Payton, obviously, like he's, uh, there's a lot of lore that goes on with a guy like Mitch Payton, uh, not enough people really know, uh, too, too much about the guy, uh, but, uh, so, uh, how is your relationship with him, uh, how are things early on, how do your, uh, personalities mix together, and, uh, where do you stand now? Mitch expects the best out of you, and he's going to drive you to do your best. He's a good guy, but if he, if you want to work there, you better be willing to put the effort in. Uh, as far as getting along with him, of course, everybody butts heads with Mitch every now and then. That's going to happen. But he's a great guy. He works his butt off. He wants to see not only him and Pro Circuit succeed, he wants to see people around him succeed. So working for him, people should you know, uh, be proud and privileged that they have worked for him. So he, he's a great guy. Excellent. Well, you, you definitely take a lot of pride and are very passionate about what you do as well. Is that something the two of you uh, had in common and still do? Yep. Still A-OK. I saw him at the Redlands last year. I see him. Hopefully he'll be there this year. So, do you like stuff? Or possibly things? How about a huge selection of motocross and street bike gear from apparel brands like Troy Designs, Alias, Icon, and power bands every single color you can think of? How about 25 years of custom suspension and motor service for a full service shop? All of which you can find at Capital Motorsports. Mention this Big MX podcast to receive a VP gas can with Spout for only $40, as well as 100% off your next set of motocross tires. Just kidding, we can't back that up, but ask for about it anyway. Check out Capital Motorsports at 157 St. Anne's Road, Winnipeg, Manitoba, or call them, not so toll-free, at 204-237-6686. Make your way down to Westside Honda Polaris and check out the brand new Honda Grom. Honda's revolutionary 125cc fuel-injected mini-moto ultimate weapon. A must-see for all motocross enthusiasts. From the Grom to the usual suspects like the CBR600RR, CRF450R, Westside Honda Polaris of Suffolk, Manitoba has you covered. Check them out on the web at westsidehonda.ca. Call toll-free at one 888 4827782 Boom. Listen up, Big MX listeners. Does your bike sound like this? Would you rather it sound like this? I thought so. Sounds like it's time for you to give Lee Stewart at 38 Rajap a call. From everything from parts installation, full service, suspension work, as well as full-blown bike builds, Lee Stewart does it all. Visit www.theword30ridechop.com or call 204-510-7433. That's 510-RIDE. Anytime, day or night, give Lee a call. He has the tools and the know-how to take your bike to the very next level. The only shop located in northeastern Winnipeg, otherwise known as Transcona. 38 Rod Shop. Get it in ya. I can remember in 97. See, that's when I owned my house in Minity down in the Temecula area. Yep. And David Tingry was pro circuit rider. He ran the room from me. And then I had Lamont, which was Craig Decker's mechanic. He went and rented the room from me. Well, angry, and we got done testing. We came back from Cali track. Us mechanics did, getting the bikes ready for the next day. Well, here comes Carmichael in, 
and I was walking from the race shop up to the customer division because it was after 6 o'clock. And everybody drinks beer after 6 o'clock at first circuit. Everybody does. Yeah. So I was going up there to get me a beer because it was after 6. Here comes Ricky in, and here comes Mitch. He's going the same direction I was. And I think, actually, I got him a beer out of the refrigerator. But here comes Ricky and Pingree with an In-N-Out cup. Uh-oh. And Mitch goes, huh. He has In-N-Out. Ricky goes, I just got a nice tea. And Mitch goes, hmm. Mitch goes, let me smell your fingers. Mitch grabbed his right hand. He said, he had french fries. Ricky goes, all right, I got a number two combo. Well, he was chubby, and his mom was on his butt about training. So me and Mitch didn't know really how serious Mama C was. But just so happened, 10, 15, 20 minutes later, intercom comes on. Mitch, phone call. Mama Carmichael. Insurance is the phone. Talking to her. Because that's the first time Ricky had been to California without her. Yeah. And Mitch goes, I caught your son getting in and out. Boy, you can buy here or scream over the whole shop. <laughs> get, him on, get him on the phone now. He got on the phone. He looked like a little two-month-old puppy, puppy whining. <laughs> he told him, because I think Mitch made him put it on speaker because he thought it was funny. Um, said, I'm bringing my... No, no, she told Mitch this. She said, I'm bringing my skills putting them in my bag, and if he's gained one pound, he's working out twice as hard. And Mitch's eyes lit up, and he hung up the phone, and he said, ooh, we got him in trouble. <laughs> so she was fierce, and she drove him. Now, set the scene for us the first time you laid eyes on a young Ricky Carmichael riding in person for the very first time, and uh, what was it like working with him during the early days of his career? Actually, what's funny is when I worked at Bars Competition back in 1988 and 89, we built Carmichael's KX60s back then. But uh, I can remember at Gainesville National in 91, uh, Rhino, Kurdowski, Morocco, and Wardy all said, hey, come, let's come watch this kid. And it was Carmichael. And remember, I remember him coming out of that drop-off and coming up Gator Back Hill there and doing that tabletop on that 65 or 60, whatever it was back then. And the kid used to come to amateur races like at Mount Morris, and he would come over and sit on my bike and play with my throttle. Um, so I know him a long time, but I always kind of knew the kid was going to be good. Just didn't know how good, but he definitely exceeded from what everyone thought definitely no you you, uh, you had the pleasure of um, arguably uh, wrenching for uh, Ricky during the prime of his career when he first uh, laid down that uh, perfect season in 2002 and uh, one of the quotes I remember from that era is that a lot of people thought that when he was on his edge or that uh, the edge that he had was 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 truly where where like he he was had topped out and uh, you may have, may have seen him at, at, uh, at even far greater than most people had were able to witness um, explain that a little bit if he tried to ride smooth and pay total attention, he's going to bust his butt. But mm -hmm. if he was pinned, swapping, doing what he wanted to do, he, he was fine. That's just That was just his riding style, and that's what worked for him. So what, what's uh, what's your best uh, RC story? Uh, possibly uh, something from his 125 days. I sent you that one. Before. 125. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I've been so busy building motors. Hey, I know. I'm just. Oh, thinking. okay. I got a good one. There you go. Gainesville. 1997. Okay. The first one. Yep. Goes out. Gets about, I don't know, 10th, 12th place start. Comes all the way to the pack. Catches Lanson for the lead. We're like two laps to go. 
right on him, but don't pass it. He comes in, and he told me and Mitch, he said, man, I was waiting for him to get tired. I could have passed him. And we looked at him and said, Lampson, don't get tired. And then next thing I know, here's his mom making him grilled cheese. Wouldn't take his pants or his dirty boots off. He's walking around with his pair of belly sticking out. And walking around to all the other teams and jacking with all the other riders and mechanics. One of those mechanics are working on the bikes while I'm working on his bike for the second moto. Second moto, he goes out and wins by 15 seconds. And we win overall. And at that time, Kevin Wyndham lived with uh, Mitch Payton out in California, stayed at the house when he was out west. And when Ricky, when Wyndham was trying to hang with Ricky, the second moto, the first few laps, Wyndham told Mitch straight up, he said, that's the fastest I've ever went in my career. He said, I got scared because I was going so fast I had to back off. Wow. So that's, that's a true story. That's incredible, you know, uh, to hear that uh, someone as smooth and calculated as uh, as Kevin Windham, uh, that may have been one of the first of, of many times that he tried to hang with uh, uh, with Ricky. That uh, that he just um, basically that that pace um, spooked him because there was a lot of times when uh, one could argue that uh, skill wise and uh, riding style wise, uh, it doesn't get much better than um, than 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 Kevin, but, uh, as far as just, uh, pure speed and aggression, uh, it, it, it comes down to, uh, the, the big number four. Yeah. But when Kevin, when Kevin Wyndham was on it his day and he was truly on it, you couldn't touch him. No. So there was nothing you could do about it. Unadilla 03. Or Washougal 03. I can remember... Uh, his first national at uh, Mount Morris when he led the first moto with about a lap to go, and I forget he's either Henry or Lampson passed him. Yeah, and he finished second because we used to we used to carry cylinder and head and carburetor and ignition for him in our semi. Okay. So when his bike came to the pro race and he raced the national, we would go over and put it on the bike. Really? And so when he got when he got done, that came back off and went in our semi, and we put his normal spec back on his bike. That was the support did. that he received through uh, Pro Circuit. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's something that didn't want to get out, and something that had to be maintained. You just could not just give it to them and let them race it every weekend because it was going to grenade. It had to be maintained. That's also something that uh, I believe was um, um, co- very common in the '90s, actually. That were were uh, uh, like full engines or even pieces of engines were uh, were basically loaned out for the weekend for the weekend, and then uh, taken back at the end. I believe uh, even uh, in two th- in 1996, I believe that um, Buddy Antonez uh, getting a getting a full motor from Mitch. Yeah, it's actually, I think it was one of my motors after Pichon got hurt. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was my motors from Pichon, if I'm not okay. mistaken. It's what it was. If not, then it was a motor. So we carried extra, of course, our extra motors. And we carried an extra motor in, in case a pro circuit rider blew up a KX125. We had a, a spec for them to have. Right. But buddies, I think he got my Pichon stuff after Pichon got got hurt, or not hurt, but got diagnosed with whatever he had. Okay, so uh, um, were you still working on the engines that, at that time, or uh, or installing them uh, on race day, or uh, what? What was your uh, what was your capacity when uh, Pichon was out for the rest of the season? Let's see, I was also ninety six, ninety. Seven and ninety-eight. I was team manager also at Pro Circuit, so I had okay. to do all that paperwork and all that stuff to take care of, plus be a mechanic. So after Pichon got hurt, I did more testing and more dyno and more development is what I did. So that's so long ago, I can't tell you if I built Buddy's motor every week or if one of our other guys did. I 
I can't answer that. But Mike, you, I forgot about it till you brought it up. But yeah, he <laughs> did have a race motor. That's right. Uh, so obviously, yeah, you have worked on uh, a lot of KX125 and 250s, from that matter. Um, what uh, What is something that like it, that's a part of your job that uh, um, like during your uh, professional career that uh, like you obviously you loved working on the engines. Uh, what was your least favorite part about the uh, about the occupation? And the fly. <laughs> Other other than the tra- other than the, the travel, because I know that wears. Um, the least other thing probably would have been that sometimes you didn't have the organization of the races back then. Mm-hmm. Were sometimes a little bit off. We didn't have we didn't have near as much. I'll rephrase that. They were not off. We did not have near as much time in between motos as what they have now. And back in those days, you had one guy that built the bike. You don't have five guys like now that does everything, even though you may only see one or two guys. Right, yeah. And you got, suspension guys. you got 30. At that time, you had 30, 35 minutes to get your whole bike done. And we had to sometimes change whole motors due to how much compression we ran. At least we took the cylinder and heads off between motos, reed cage, did the carburetor, tires, air filter, and you knock that out in 30 minutes, you barely can breathe. I was going to say, you guys are hustling. Uh, what? Uh, there, yeah. was no, there, there was no you guys. It was you guys and Mitch in his wheelchair on the other side of the bike and Jimmy Perry helping out between all four of us. So there was nothing like there is now. So we were huffing and puffing. No doubt. They uh, had to uh, stay in shape. And actually, that's one of the things that uh, I think you prided yourself on as well, as being one of the most uh, fit uh, mechanics in the pits. Uh, where did that all come about? Well, um, I, I know when I got in that accident back in 92, mm-hmm. um, it made me lose a lot of organs and I just said, I need to get myself in shape. So I just, when Deshaun got hurt, I just started. Actually, no, I rephrase that. All season after Ryan Hughes, when he went to Cali and I was in house doing race engine stuff, I decided, hey, I'm just going to get in shape. So I just started going to the gym, lifting weights six days a week, training, and just made myself fit. Excellent. No, it's uh, it's it's great. It was great to see. As I am an enthusiast of uh, of of weight training, it's it's uh, it's a great way to uh, get that release. And there's not quite uh, a similar feeling than walking out of the gym after a solid workout. Um, getting back a little bit to uh, what's available over at uh, Watts Perfections, what are some of the services and products that you provide uh, as uh, as part of um, uh, Watts Perfections, and uh, where can someone go to get more information about that stuff? As far as services, of course, two-stroke, four-stroke, cylinder head mobs, four-stroke, bow seat work, you want beryllium seats put in, different angles put on the seats, no problem. Uh, case case mods, full internal transmission, internal engine parts, super finished. All the test uh, coatings to make the engine run cooler. Uh, ceramic coatings for uh, stroke carb SCR mods. Uh, remap of the EFI suspension, basic rebuild or revalve. If you want custom A kit KYB with billet lugs, no problem. Um, and if you just simply just want to bring your bike in for an oil change and oil filter and air filter service, no problem. We have a service department also. So we try to we try to tailor, you know, in all areas, but our true blood is full on racing. Absolutely, racing's in your blood, and uh, and and your names on the on the sign out front. So uh, I got I've always uh, as um, I've always had a lot of respect for someone who was willing to put their last name on their on the company that they've developed. And uh, so um, 
tell us a little bit about that decision to go with Watts Perfections and uh, what does it mean to you to have uh, your name on the on the front of the door? Well, be truthful, we came up with Watts Perfections, David Bailey. Really? Yep. He was he was up there at the house when I resigned from Honda, and I had been working on his Mitchell's bike. His son, not Mitchell, Mitchell's brother, but his son's bike. Right. And we were up there working on it, and he was up there, and he said, well, you're a perfectionist. And he just said, hey, here we go. Watch perfection. He says, you need your name on it. So that's what he came up with. He told his brother, Mitchell. Mitchell came up with the W logo, and that's the way it became. So when you first uh, resigned from uh, from Honda and there w- it was a, a huge buzz uh, when when that went down, you headed back to North Carolina. Were the roots already laid for uh, Watts Perfections, or uh, were you basically starting from scratch? Mm, I winged it. <laughs> I pretty much woke up one day and said I'm resigning from Honda. Woke up about a year and a half later, said I'm putting the house up for sale. Told my wife. And next day, there's a for sale sign. Dad called me and said, hey, there's 70-something acres for sale down here. Do you want it? I said, yeah. So we got the, the funds together. And then uh, my brother was going to move back home, so we split it in half. Because we had 120 acres up the road. So we split it in half here, and he got his. And so I built my shop down by the creek, and then when I can afford to build a house, I built mine on top of the land, and then his new house that's about a thousand feet from my house was set. So we didn't have no roots. I, I had Graden Company here for two months. They moved forty six or forty seven thousand yards of dirt for this place to get built. So I started from scratch. That's incredible, my friend. Uh, we've got some uh, uh, listener questions that were sent in uh, via email for you. Uh, there looks to be about five or six of them. Uh, we feel like uh, um, answering a few of those. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Perfect. This is uh, the West Side Honda Curious Questions. We start off with Pat Hebert. He asks... Uh, after stepping away from your professional uh, mechanic career, uh, did you stay in touch with um, with Ricky Carmichael? And uh, what was it like to uh, basically see his success, uh, including a perfect season, uh, with a, a machine tuned by Mike Gosler? And it was definitely a privilege. It was definitely a chore. And it was definitely a thrill. Hmm. And... Overall outcome, yeah, there was some sweat and some cussing and some screaming and pissing people off and busting your butt, but you came out at the end and finished up what you were wanting to do. So, yeah, that answered your question. I don't know if it did or not. <laughs> Fair enough. No, it's it's it's, it's uh, it, there's a lot that goes into this stuff, and uh, you guys, uh, you yourself, have worked extremely hard to uh, uh, attain perfection in the in the world of uh, tuning engines. I, I believe you've uh, you've damn near ch- achieved that if if you haven't already. Next question is from Jalen Carrier. She asks uh, if you could work for one current rider, uh, who would it be, and why? Mm, no one. I ain't going back on the road. <laughs> I just short, short and simple. It ain't happening. Ain't happening. Um, Richard Mellon asks if uh, if RC was to uh, return to uh, Loretta Lynn's and hopefully got in shape beforehand, uh, and uh, and asked you to uh, wrench for him uh, at the Loretta's, would you dust off the pit board? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Devin Gibbs. As uh, many champion like uh, many champions won with Ricky Carmichael, uh, which stays which one stays closest to your heart? Ninety seven outdoor. Outdoors, the very first one. Yep. Uh, who was the hardest racer to get along with during your working career? Pichon. 
Um, Blair McDonald asked, who's the most talented rider you've ever seen to not realize their potential? There's a couple I'm trying to think of, the best one. Um... Like maybe a guy who was amazing on practice day that just couldn't put it together during yeah, the race, um, or someone that just partied didn't too much. And, what they didn't have. Oh, probably Austin Stroop. It's good. That's a yeah. I I, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, I think he had a, a whole lot left in the tank before uh, he uh, has decided. I guess well, see, keeps saying he wants to make a comeback, but I don't think that's uh, in the cards anymore. Uh, Lee Stewart asks. Uh, what is the most badass factory bike that you ever got a chance to work on, both 125 and 250? So you got to name two bikes. 2001 KX250. That was the baddest factory bike, I think. We shaved like 17 pounds or 18 pounds off of it in the 2000 season. That bike was a work of art, and it was a pain in my rear end to build because it took so much effort to make everything fit. What uh, well, I, one of, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask. Obviously, uh, uh, RC being a little guy, uh, he obviously known for having a very small machine. Uh, what were some of the most uh, things that he was most picky about when setting up a bike, and how did you get seventeen pounds out of a two fifty two stroke? Seventeen pounds, more magnesium, more titanium, uh, more carbon fiber, lighter foam, lighter seat base. Um, just just add up lighter internal engine parts, machine more. And you asked another question I already forgot. Uh, well, like what was what was some of the most uh, difficult things in terms of setting up a bike for such a small rider like Ricky, or someone who he oh, like definitely knew what he wanted uh, to put together. He was very very particular about his seat. Like at Honda, I had, I don't know, nine or 11 different seats in the truck with new covers on them, different shapes, different heights, different foam density. And he would use the seats for a couple weeks. Oh, I don't like this one, but if I could throw it away, because maybe two weeks later, he might would like it. And then sometimes he would show up, hey, I want to use my practice bike seat. He brings me the seat, looks like a freaking great Dane has been chewing on it for a week. And I had to fix the foam, put a new cover on it, make it look good for my race bike. But that was the most difficult thing for him. Definitely. Uh, so, like, obviously, you know what? Ricky was hard on stuff. And I don't want to make this all about uh, Ricky, but you did work for him for quite a long time. And I know you guys uh, were very close in terms of your relationship. Um, first of all, how hard was he on some stuff? And is there any truth to the uh, the like uh, the story that once uh, he made the switch from the the Kawasaki's to the Hondas, that there was a big pile of Kawasaki work stuff that may or may not have been bulldozed. Yeah, I took we took and uh, tore the tore the bikes apart, and uh, I just kept like the um, the hub and the triple clamps off the Cali's, and I just took them back with the told them to dig a hole and bury them. And so we, yeah, we did that. And then I come back about a year later to take more stuff apart. And somebody had went through all the parts and took the bikes apart. It was pretty funny. <laughs> so, uh, like, well, how hard was he on stuff? Like, like, what kind of, how many hours is he putting on practice bikes throughout he, a week? He, or he could, he could tear up a junkyard with a glass hammer. No doubt. And, but nah, practice bike only lasts him two weeks, and he had the same race. He had the same bike to practice on as he had what he raced on, the exact same. Wow! So, so that's. Every, uh... every, so what all what all goes into building a race bike? A lot of people like uh, they 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 hear about a mechanic having to build a race bike. Uh, where does it all start, and uh, uh, how do you work towards the finished product? Uh, pretty much starts. You get a you get a do testing with Japan. They go back to Japan, make what, so to speak, at that time was KHI, and they would uh, make what parts you needed, say for Carmichael's bike. Maybe uh, Enix was different, and you get the bike, 
but then as soon as you got it, you tore it down the frame. You did everything that you needed to do, wanted to do to it. And you had that bike built for the first race, but then you also had pretty much another whole bike apart ready to go if parts are needed and another extra engine and and all the spare parts. So you would you would be uh, spending two weeks and hardly no sleep because Japan shuts down around Christmas time. So if you don't get your parts from Japan before Christmas, you don't get them to around New Year's. And at that time, Anaheim was four days later. So you'd be at the race shop for two or three days straight with only a couple hours sleep a night. So that was one of the most difficult times. That that's uh, it, that's incredible the, the the way you built some of those uh, bikes back in the day. I know some of those uh, uh, the factory Kawasaki two fifty two strokes as well as the Hondas were just an absolute uh, feast for the eyes. There, uh, it must have been a lot of you taking a lot of pride working on them. Yes, no. Yeah, I, I, I definitely take pride in anything. That's for sure. I don't care if it's bikes or life in general. I definitely take pride in stuff. What uh, what are some things that are really important to uh, Chad Watt, Chad Watts? What uh, what drives you and uh, and what motivates you to uh, to achieve the level of perfection that you have uh, have have began a, a culture of? Well, what matters most to me is important family. That's first, and then second is you know the business. Of course, the business you got to take care of to support your family. But uh, family comes first, and that's one of the reasons why I got off the road. Excellent. So uh, you've you've got some uh, some young young uh, young kids as well, or how how old are your children? Oh, only have, we only have one. Okay, you're, she, you're... she's a little she's a little over four years old, going on twenty. Four years old, going on twenty. <laughs> yep. That's uh. That's awesome. Uh, any plans to have her on, uh, have her riding at all? She already knows how to turn the handle. Perfect. Now, uh, one of the things I wanted to speak to you about is one of the things that I know is very close to your heart, and you've been uh, uh, one of the only times that I've ever seen you be outspoken on social media was uh, your stance on the two-stroke, four-stroke uh, debate. And like for the most part, four-stroke engines now and the lack thereof development of the two-stroke machine has basically put that uh, argument to bed. But uh, where do you stand in terms of uh, how, why you feel so passionately about... Um, like continuing to uh, to develop the two strokes, or why they should still be used in competition. Well, when it comes to building, to me, it doesn't matter which one it is. But for a customer, average customer that has their average budget to spend to maintain the bike for their kid, whether daughter or son, two strokes. They can go in and get a top end done, as long as it's just like piston rings, gaskets, and labor. You know, four, five hundred bucks the most. Four stroke, the time you do valve seats, and you do valves, timing chain, water pump, piston, you're at least twelve hundred, and if they want modified compression stuff, then you're at least 1800 minimum, and that ain't even counting any modifications. Well, every parent can't afford to do that. So that right. takes away from the parents to be able to maintain the bikes properly for their kid to race as the bikes start fatiguing. It isn't the parents' fault by no means. It's just money don't grow on a tree. Parents can only do so much if it's not in their budget. But at the same time, their kid wants to race, so it's kind of like a catch-22. So parents can way more be able to maintain and more better equipment when it comes to a two-stroke. And it's, in my opinion, and I know I'll piss a lot of people off, manufacturers, but I really don't care, two-strokes are more safer for riders to ride, especially when it comes to maintenance. What uh, what makes them so safe other than the maintenance? 
Pardon? What what makes them safer other than the the maintenance side of things? Like obviously you could stay on top of a two stroke more, but uh, in terms of um, what else makes them safe? Uh, this this is my opinion. Yeah, no, I, that, you, hey, this you, is you why know. I have you on. So, if riders they don't a lot of riders panic, don't keep the clutch in, front end dies. You get a freaking hundred and ten pound rider on a two fifty F. Is making major horsepower. They can't control it, especially if the suspension is not set up proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can go on and on and on, but that's that's just that's just the way I look at it. Absolutely. You know what? I uh, I definitely connect with that because uh, at the beginning of last season, uh, obviously here in Canada, we have uh, we have a riding season that's about six months long. Um, I was faced with the decision on whether or not to ride uh, one of my older 250Fs that I had finished racing on in 2010 before having shoulder surgery um, or, or, or come back on uh, my dad's 252 stroke that he purchased for himself back in 2005. And Obviously, having not ridden a two-stroke for quite some time, I was kind of all thumbs at the, uh, at the from the very beginning. But uh, as far as when I looked at it in terms of how I was going to be able to stay on top of uh, maintaining the bike, uh, I definitely saw myself being able to afford uh, the maintenance and repair work on a, a two-stroke that I would honestly be able to work on myself, much to the... Uh, dis like skepticism of my friends. I can work on the two strokes, whereas I don't have the ability on the four strokes. So it's definitely better on my pocketbook. So uh, I've uh, I've always got a fresh machine, and uh, if 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 nothing else gives you a peace of mind, I think it's that, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's all about safety. I mean, that's the way I look at it. It's, it when you do a when you work on something, you gotta make sure you're not only making sure the product is good, but you're making sure it is 110% safe because you got to think about that kid because that kid getting hurt goes into a hospital bill and yeah. even worse. I mean, that's like if I take it to some part and it's a $10 part, it's worth changing it instead of having a $2,000 medical bill. Totally. I absolutely agree with you, my friend. Although, of course, in Canada, we've got uh, health care. But uh, there's the, the price to pay for uh, for injuries uh, sustained in motocross is um, sometimes uh, life-threatening as well as uh, debilitating for the rest of your life. And you want to stay as safe as you can. And if that means uh, riding a, a two-stroke machine, I'm all for it. Especially because uh, what sounds better than, uh, than a two-stroke uh, top revs? Yeah, nothing sounds better than a good high resin 125 two stroke with a high resin rider on it. That's the best sound of all to me when it comes to something on the track. Couldn't agree more, my friend. And coming from uh, the the Ace Tuner, Chad Watts, that's uh, one heck of a statement. You know what, Chad? I've had you on for an hour and ten minutes long. I uh, really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. It's been a thrill for me, and uh, I just uh, I can't thank you enough for taking some time tonight to, to take some time aside in your shop to uh, speak with uh, with me. I'm absolutely humbled by your appearance on the show, and uh, if it's all right with you, I'd love to have you on again sometime. No problem. Anytime. Just let me know. Excellent, uh, Chad Watts. Thank you again so much on behalf of everyone here at the Big MX Show. Uh, you have yourself a fantastic evening. Same to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.